Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, amen, church. It's good to be back uh, with you. Um, Last week, Pastor Ethan brought just a phenomenal word on the sufficiency of Scripture. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to check it out. It It was a really strong message on the Bible. Uh, This morning, we resume our series in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. We'll begin in verse 36. So if you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, go ahead and make your way there. And as you do, uh, I want to try to set the context since we missed last week. Uh, So far in chapter 15, we've seen the message of rescue from sin and everlasting death, hell and the grave is found in Christ alone, right? It's, It's not through circumcision. It's not through law keeping. It's not through the laws of Moses that were to show us that we needed a savior who could fulfill the law and not just uh, have us do outward acts of good deeds, but to, to change us on the inside, to actually give us affections and desires and passions to pursue God. So um, what happens after the church in Antioch is, is sort of attacked by these people saying, you're not really saved Uh, The issue is settled in the church at Jerusalem, and the church at Jerusalem sends a letter back to Antioch, and there's there's great joy and rejoicing because salvation is in Christ alone. Now, they also say, hey, now don't look like idolaters, right? Don't don't do the stuff that the world associates with idolatry because Jesus came to free us from idolatry. So the church at Antioch, things are going great. The gospel has been affirmed. Jews and Gentiles are united in one congregation despite their cultural differences. Paul and Barnabas and others in verse 35, they're preaching the gospel. It's like a Jesus seminar all the time there in Antioch. Everything is great. What do we say when things are great? What do we say when our our job rocks, when we can eat ice cream at midnight and not gain a pound? That used to be true for me, and it's not anymore, and I'm processing that, like, right now. Um, Because I like ice cream, but I can't eat it after, like, six anymore. What What do we do when... When every decision made, every sermon preached, and every song sung, and every class and program that's offered leads us to go, man, this is great. What do we say? We say, man, God is so good. God is working. But what about when things aren't that way? I'm here to announce today to you, or, or maybe it's just for me. Maybe this sermon is just for me, because as I've worked on it, I know it's been for me. I'm here to announce this truth. Jesus is working even when it's difficult. Jesus is working even when it's hard. Would you hear with me the word of God, beginning in verse 36 of chapter 15. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. 
Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. It is truth. Sanctify us in the hearing of your word today. Make us more like Christ, not only individually, but corporately. God, give us the the mind of Christ in the hearing of his word. We pray for his glory, our good, and the good of the nations. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 36 through 41, I want to show you this point, and then we'll continue further into chapter 16. But the first thing I want you to see is Jesus can even use painful disagreements to multiply his mission. Jesus can even use painful disagreements to multiply his mission. Luke has been showing us God's desire throughout the book of Acts for a united church. And then, boom, we see as Kellum writes, even missionaries have arguments. But before we consider the dispute between Paul and Barnabas, we need to see their agreement. What did they agree on? They agreed on much, right? They agreed on the message of the gospel. They agreed the gospel should unite all kinds of people, Jew and Gentile, in local churches who are devoted to the work of glorifying Jesus. So the dispute between Paul and Barnabas is not a dispute about doctrine. If you'd given them a theology exam or a Bible exam, they would have answered the questions in substantially the same way. They agreed even that the new churches that they had already planted back in chapter 13 and 14, that they need encouragement. So when Paul suggests returning to the churches they had planted to see how they're doing, what does Barnabas say? He's like, sure, that sounds great. Let's go. But then he also makes a suggestion. It's like, Paul, if we're going to go back to those same churches... Why don't we give Mark another chance? Yeah, John Mark. You know, the guy who deserted us in Pamphylia on the first missionary journey back in chapter 13. Yeah, that guy. And Paul is like, what? John Mark, we don't know for sure why he abandoned the work, but it seems that it had to do something with the fact that it was work, that it was going to be hard. Scholars have surmised that he was likely homesick or afraid or lazy or just a bit soft when the idea of going on an adventure right because when we hear mission trip what do we think new place new scenery it's going to be awesome we'll take some facebook pics some selfies and put them on social media and then after about day three you realize you're in a a different climate with different people you don't know the language and it's hard work right When it got hard, apparently John Mark abandons the mission. And Paul thinks it's best, verse 38, not to take along somebody who deserted them and refused to join in the work previously because there's work to do right now. It's going to be hard work. We're going to go up into Turkey. It's going to be hot. So Paul is focused on the importance of the team being a team for the good of the team and the advance of the gospel to many. But Barnabas, get this, what is Barnabas focused on? Barnabas, ever the encourager, is focused on restoring his cousin, Mark. Now here's a question. Who was right? 
Was Paul right to be concerned for the dynamics of the team and the overall spread of the gospel to many? Or was Barnabas ever the encourager right to be focused on the restoration of the one? Kent Hughes says this, and I like it. Our judgment goes with Paul, but our hearts go with Barnabas. We all love a good comeback story. But we should not casually dismiss Paul's concerns. Paul is not some meanie, right? Later, he's going to be the one that urges the church at Corinth to restore a deeply sinful but repentant man. He tells us in Romans 12, verse 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And apparently, Paul had been living peaceably with Mark in Antioch. He was not, however, ready to take Mark on another mission trip and risk changing the purpose of the trip from kingdom advancement to making sure that Mark is okay all the time. Like, he he wants to get out there for the gospel, not babysit Mark. So in verse 39, they have this sharp disagreement. The, The word here doesn't mean necessarily that they were angry. The same word is used over in Hebrews chapter 10 when the church is encouraged to incite one another to love and good deeds, to stir up good works. Perhaps Barnabas could appreciate Paul's perspective that bringing Mark may very well monopolize the mission. Maybe Barnabas could see that. Paul, I I know how you're wired. I see your personality, and I get that taking Mark is probably going to be tough. Maybe Paul could see that Barnabas had the time and temperament to simultaneously balance mission and ministry to Mark. Ultimately, we, we don't know. We just know there's a disagreement that for the time being, they can't resolve. And what we also know is that both of these men love Jesus. Like sometimes we think, There's never going to be disagreement if you both love Jesus and you're both filled with the Holy Spirit. But we have two very spirit-filled men who love Jesus coming at this personal conflict from two very different vantage points. And the reality is they could not work together if Mark was going to come along. Not yet, not now. Just couldn't happen. We also know that based on Paul's own writings that complaining and murmuring and quarreling with other believers is sinful... We don't necessarily know that that was a part of their disagreement or not. And we also know that eventually Paul is reconciled to Mark. And we know that he will work once more with Barnabas. So we don't need to use this passage to justify every disagreement that we might ever have with another brother or sister or walking away every time there is conflict. On the other hand, we need to be encouraged that if Paul and Barnabas had a conflict... If you end up having a conflict somewhere along the way, don't be surprised. Because if Paul and Barnabas can, so can we. But be encouraged to know this, that disagreements, even among the greatest of Christians, while they can happen, they do not disarm King Jesus. Disagreements among brothers do not disarm Jesus. For right now, they're disagreement seems irreconcilable but they don't abandon the mission what do they do they multiply into two mission teams Barnabas takes John back to his home island of Cyprus and Paul joins with Silas who was from the Jerusalem church and they head by land through Syria 
and Cilicia toward the cities where Paul and Barnabas had previously planted churches back in chapters 13 and 14. Now, if you're Paul or Barnabas and you're walking in separate paths, separate mission trips, certainly these men who had grown to love each other, Barnabas had previously come to Paul's defense, certainly there was a a grief in their separation. Certainly there was a woundedness and a heaviness, and yet they went out. Their disagreement did not disqualify them from serving Jesus. Their disagreement did not disqualify them from advancing the kingdom of God. God used both men in different places in different ways. Barnabas in restoring Mark and Paul in taking the gospel into new territory. Don't miss this. Despite the disagreement, God is winning. Marita says this, God sovereignly worked through the conflict, to achieve his purposes. The result is that instead of one mission journey, there are two. And here's something amazing to me. The church at Antioch commends both teams to the grace of the Lord. So these men have had a disagreement, but they don't let the disagreement divide the church. Are you, is it, y'all following me? It it doesn't become this greater issue. Well, some follow Apollos and some follow Cephas and some follow this guy. No, we're, we're both following Jesus. This just ain't working right now. And the church is like, okay, apparently a sovereign God wants two teams to go out and y'all will work it out in time. But right now, go get them in Jesus' name. There's a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, but it doesn't divide the overall congregation who's been led by Paul and Barnabas. The church didn't blame the creation of two teams on stubborn men. They embraced it as the work of a sovereign God. God was working, multiplying the mission, and the church had the spirit-given maturity to see that both men were being called by God to display and declare His grace on two missionary trips. Church, Jesus is working even when there are painful disagreements about what is best in the work of making disciples. Let's keep reading. Verse 1 of chapter 16 down through verse 5. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So we split off in verse 1, and we begin to follow the mission trip of Paul and Silas. And when Paul arrives in Lystra, he meets Timothy, a disciple with a good reputation. And what we learn in verses 1 through 5 is that Jesus uses painful personal sacrifices. Timothy is a grown man who is circumcised for the sake of the gospel. All right? That's a painful personal sacrifice. Right? brothers okay are we are we clear on that Jesus uses painful personal sacrifices to strengthen and multiply his church Paul stumbles upon Timothy and 
He's got a good reputation already in two different congregations, two different cities, which means what? It means that Timothy's probably already been teaching and mentoring and discipling in, in multiple places. And the reality is we just saw that Paul was not prepared to be paired with John Mark, but he finds in Timothy, notice this, he finds in Timothy, verse 3, someone he wants to accompany him. He sees in Timothy somebody that's going to make a good team member, somebody that they're going to work well together with. Did you know that the Bible recognizes that building ministry teams includes the intangible reality of fit? In time, Paul would come to call Timothy his true child in the faith. Paul finds in Timothy both someone to mentor and a colleague that he could refresh in the gospel and who would in turn refresh him in the gospel in their mutual work of glorifying Jesus among the nations. So what did Paul do? Verse 3. He took him. He's like, you're on my team. Now, how does that go when the apostle Paul walks by and says, you're on my team? Like, do you get to debate that? or Great. Okay. So, Here's my guess as, as a pastor and a, just a person. I'm guessing that Timothy would have been fine for verse 3 to end with the words, he took him. That would have been great. Saul, Timothy, there's a great fit. This guy's got a good reputation among the churches where we're going to be serving. So he took him. But, but verse 3 keeps going, doesn't it? Do you, do you have a Bible with verse 3? He took him. And circumcised him. What? I mean, if you're reading, isn't that a bit confusing? Because you just read chapter 15, right? The whole argument in chapter 15 was that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And it was worked out. No, you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And in Galatians, we learned that when people tried to pressure Paul to have Titus, a Greek circumcised, that Paul refused. So why in the world... Does he have Timothy circumcised in this instance? And the answer is because he didn't want to put any unnecessary stumbling blocks in the way of Jews hearing the gospel. Jews in that area already knew about Timothy, that he had a father, and the use of the past tense was, suggested his father had passed away, who was an unbelieving Greek. And Marita summarizes the situation for us in this way. Because rabbinic law taught that a child born of a Jewish mother and a Greek father was considered Jewish, Paul knew that Timothy would have constantly offended the Jews if he didn't get circumcised. Peterson adds this detail. As an uncircumcised son of a mixed marriage between a Jewish mother and a Greek father, Timothy would have been regarded by Jews as technically an apostate Jew. So why does he get circumcised? Not because it's going to save him, but because he wants to get an entry into the synagogue so that he can share the gospel that only Jesus saves. So he's willing to be circumcised so that he can tell people who are circumcised that your circumcision didn't do anything for your salvation. You need to know Jesus. And I'm so desperate for you to know Jesus. I'll do whatever it takes, even if it's painful, to remove any obstacle to the gospel other than the gospel itself so that you might know Jesus. And I am so sorry for my voice, but I, I hope you understand this principle. 
that we too need to be a people. Removing any obstacle whatsoever so that people could behold our glorious Savior. Timothy knew that circumcision didn't save him or contribute to his salvation. But undergoing circumcision, even as a grown man, would give him the opportunity to tell Jews that true circumcision, the circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of sin, so that I can behold my Savior and glorify Him, that that is in Jesus Christ alone. Church, it is Jesus who cuts away our addiction to sin. It is Jesus who cuts away our addiction to self and makes us alive to the joy of glorifying our Savior. Why was Timothy circumcised? He did it to widen his witness. To widen his witness. So that he could take part of getting the gospel to Jews. He's willing to remove any other offense than the offense of the cross. Galatians 5.11 The cross is offensive, is it not? It declares to us that we are sinners. It declares to us that our Sin separates us from God, that it is deserving of death. And a lot of people don't want to hear that message, but we want them to at least be able to hear about the cross. And if they are offended, to be offended by the cross and nothing else. So what does Timothy do? He is circumcised so that those of the circumcision might know of Jesus. We see the principle that Paul puts into writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Why do I do it? Listen to this. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Church, where is our allegiance? Is our allegiance to Jesus and the gospel greater than anything else in the world? Is Jesus perhaps calling you to do something to widen your witness in the world? Some questions for us to ask. What painful step or steps might Jesus call you to take to widen your witness? Is there anything in your life that would be painful to remove, but if you did it, it would open the door for you to give the gospel to more people? Process that for a moment. This is da- these are dangerous questions, by the way, because when you start to ask them, it challenges you in a deep place. That, that meme that, that was kind of funny, all of a sudden isn't so funny anymore because people are watching. And my politics might be an obstacle to being able to share Jesus. That dig that was somehow rooted in ethnicity which really was I I didn't mean it that way but you know well somebody else is watching that dream of isolation from all the crazy people in the world man if I could just get away from all the crazy people if I could just get off the grid be self-sustaining And not have to deal with the crazy people anymore. Yeah, some of y'all are like, yep. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Amen, brother. You know what happens when you start to ask, God, what, 
what would it look like to make a painful sacrifice for the good of the gospel? And God starts to build into your heart and into your church. He's like, those crazy people need Jesus. And how are those crazy people going to get Jesus if nobody goes and tells them about Jesus? So, so all of a sudden, my isolationist tendencies, my get away from people tendencies are turned upside down. And it's like, no, i got to get with the people. I don't, I don't need to do what the people do, but the people need to know about Jesus. Paul and Timothy believe that Jesus is worthy of painful sacrifice, do we? And as they go, they deliver the, the decisions, verse 4, that had been made in Jerusalem, demonstrating that Jew and Gentile, circumcised or not, are one in Jesus with new power to live for God rather than for idols. And the result of all this, verse 5, do you see it? Churches were strengthened in what matters most. What were they strengthened in? They weren't strengthened in budgets. They weren't strengthened in buildings. They weren't strengthened in bodies. They weren't strengthened in big ideas. They were strengthened in what? Do you see it in verse 5? In the faith. Not in a faith, in the faith. The once for all delivered to the saints' faith. Jude 3, in the bedrock truth of the gospel. In their confidence in salvation through the precious sacrificial death of Jesus. And as they were strengthened in the faith, what happened? The church increased in numbers daily. I love that word daily. Not just on Sunday, not just when the preacher preached. In fact, that was the least frequent time of conversion. When, people, when the preacher was preaching, it was just like gravy on the, on the mashed potatoes. I mean, the mashed potatoes, the meat and potatoes of the church's evangelistic effort was not one dude standing behind a pulpit on Sunday. It was all y'all throughout the week. In your schools, in your community, in your workplace, telling people who are hopeless, I've found a hope and his name is Jesus. Daily they were growing. Man, I wish my voice was working because I'm excited. (laughs) Y'all, Timothy was literally willing to cut off a part of his body to not be an obstacle to the gospel. I'm here to tell you God still honors that kind of sacrifice. And I don't know what it is that God would have you cut off, what painful sacrifice he would have you to make. But when we step up for the glory of a king who came down for us, the gospel spreads. God is working even when his work requires painful sacrifice. Thirdly, from verses 6 through 10... And this is my final point, because I know you're getting hungry and perhaps tired of this voice. Verse 6 of chapter 16. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel 
to them. Of all the points in this message this morning that God has done a work in my life on, not just in the preparation of the sermon, but really over the last decade or more of my life, He's shown me this, point, this principle that I'm about ready to tell you. He's shown it to me in my, in my life experience. And here's the principle I want you to get out of verse 6 through 10. When necessary, God will block our plans to lead us where he deems best. When necessary, God will block our plans, even plans that we thought were his plans, to lead us where he deems best. If that were not true, I would probably be working at Virginia Tech today and enjoying my opportunity to go to Virginia Tech football games for free. It was great. Early 20s, career was on the lightning fast path of success. Two incomes, no kids. Making money hand over fist. Promotions coming in like crazy. No joy. Because I wasn't doing the will of the Lord. Recently, Ethan was planning to, our, our youth pastor, Ethan, was planning to return to school full time to work on a PhD, believing wholeheartedly that this was God's will. And then God blocked the way. And in the process, God opened his eyes to a different work for him to continue, the work of pursuing being a really good pastor. Church, as we follow Jesus, we need to be reminded that God does not just open doors, he also closes them. And in these verses, we see God closing far more doors than he opens. Here's a question. Do you believe Jesus is at work when everything feels like a closed door? In verse 6, Paul and the team travel northwest through the Phrygian Galatian region. Why? Because it seemed like the next logical step. But what happened? The Holy Spirit prevents them from going into Asia. And in verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus denies them entry into Bithynia. Note that our triune God is working. First the Spirit blocks, then the Spirit of Jesus blocks. Then in verse 10, God the Father calls. Now the Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the same Spirit, right? But Peterson wants us to know, excuse me, Luke wants us to know, as Peterson says, there's no work of the Spirit that is disconnected from the work of Jesus. Where the Spirit is working, Jesus is working. Why did the Son have to go to the right hand of the Father to send the Spirit? Because the Spirit does what the King desires. And the exalted King Jesus continues to direct the progress of the gospel. How? Through the Spirit. And at this point in the story, what's happening? Jesus is leading Paul and his team on mission. How? By blocking them at every turn. Until Paul and the team get to Troas, nothing makes sense. Scott Kellum summarizes the trip this way. The team's efforts are almost comical. Attempts are made at Phrygia, Galatia, 
Bithynia, Mysia, and Troas, but the Spirit prevented them. It's not until a vision of a Macedonian man that the team finds direction. In the process, do you realize how far they traveled? Close to 500 miles. 500 miles of closed doors at every turn. I once worked with a man who called this principle the sovereign block. There are times in our walk with Jesus when everything seems right on paper. Logically and even biblically, as far as we can tell, it all makes sense. It all adds up. This thing that I desire to do has to be what God desires for me. It's got to be what God wants. And then it doesn't work out. Somebody gets sick. The funding doesn't come through. The house doesn't sell. A policy changes, it doesn't happen. It can happen in all sorts of areas of life. Have you experienced this before? This had to be what God wanted for my life. Everybody in the office knew that promotion was yours. Mr. Wright, however, never came along. You didn't get the promotion. The family that you so desperately desire is not happening. And here is the danger, church. If we aren't careful, if we put the infinite God of the universe into the limits of our finite logic and reasoning, we can end up being disillusioned pretty quickly. Because we turn our plans into God's plans when God is actually blocking us in one area, not to deprive us of something, but to drive us to open our eyes to His desire to use us somewhere else. doesn't mean... God doesn't want us to use our brains, right? Until verse 6, Paul has been retracing his steps. He's been doing what is logical, and God has been blessing these churches along the way. The point of these verses is not to say that we don't take initiative in doing God's will. It's to help us understand that our initiative, our strategy, is still subordinate to God. Because it is, after all, God's will. God's will is about what God wills. This means that while human initiative and strategizing are sometimes helpful, they are only effective to the extent that they are within the will of God. God can overrule, He can redirect, and that's what happens right here. God overrules, God redirects. So this morning, if you're in a season of life that maybe feels like you're wandering aimlessly between closed doors, I want to encourage you today. That doesn't mean God isn't leading you somewhere. Did you hear that? You ever been in a season like that? I feel like Paul walking 500 miles, running into a bunch of closed doors. Doesn't mean God's not leading you somewhere. It might just mean that you're in a season of waiting. Peterson observes that it is often true we must patiently endure the frustration of our own plans in order to discover the opportunity that God holds open. And though it took them several blocked doors to get there, do you see the opportunity that God was holding open? What an opportunity given in the vision of the man from Macedonia. An opportunity to not just Paul, but an entire mission team. A mission team that begins to include, apparently, Luke himself. Because look at verse 10. Luke starts to use the pronoun we. So now Luke, somehow, joins the mission trip. 
And the opportunity at Troas presented to Paul in a vision of an, of an unnamed man from Macedonia is an incredible one. Do you see what he does, this man from Macedonia? He keeps crying out, urging and saying, urging and saying. The, the Greek words are in the present tense, which means he just kept saying it. What did he say? Come over. Come over. Cross the Aegean Sea. Please come help us. It's like, a, it's like a baby crying out for milk. The areas that the team had bypassed would eventually hear the gospel, but for right now, God had softened the hearts of those across the Aegean Sea in Macedonia to see that they needed help. They weren't looking for a God to help those who helped themselves. They were seeing themselves graciously by the, the goodness of God. They saw that they were helpless and that they needed to hear of a Savior. And this vision brings this man from Macedonia beckoning Paul to come across. And, and after the vision, look at verse 10, the team concludes that God wants them to go to Macedonia. And immediately they sought to go. The word conclude means to put the pieces together. I have good news for you. In a season of blocking, it doesn't make sense. But when God opens the right door, you'll be able to look back and put the pieces together. In the middle of it, it doesn't make sense. And for some of us, it's not going to be ultimately until eternity when we can look back and see how God was using us even when it felt like there were some closed doors. But suddenly, in this instance, they understand that God had been blocking and while we can't regularly expect clarifying visions, we can be encouraged, church, to know that God is working even when it seems every door is blocked. And until he opens that door, we need to remember there's a purpose in the waiting. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, They who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. What's the purpose of the wait? It is deepening our trust in the Lord. It is relying upon God. And it's our, also our relationships with other believers who pray and wait with us. Because Paul's not alone in this. He's got an entire team. So this morning I want to speak to the heart that feels stuck. The heart that has lived your entire life or maybe the last decade saying, well when this happens then I'll really be able to serve the Lord. When I get to move back to my hometown then things will be great. Have you ever done this in your life? If I could just get that promotion, then I'll really serve Jesus. Or once I retire, then I'll ha really have the time to serve the Lord. Am I the only one who thinks this way? God is here right now. He's with you when you feel stuck. You can wait upon the Lord knowing King Jesus is working even when it feels like he's blocking Paul, the greatest Christian missionary in history, faced a, se a season of blocking. And what do you do in the middle of that? You keep probing. He didn't stop. He didn't throw up his hands and quit. He talked to his team about it. They prayed together about it. They had the revealed word of God. And they stayed in biblical community, community with one another. And then God opened a door. You say, well, I don't need the church. Of course you do, because if you're facing blocked doors, who's going to pray with you about that? 
You should be talking about your blocked doors and your 3D groups. And if you're not in a 3D group, you need to get in a 3D group because some of you are bouncing around wondering what God wants to do with your life and you need to talk to some people about it so they can pray with you about it rather than being an island out there. Now, the reality is some of us this morning don't need to wait any longer, right? Because you're not, you're not on a mission trip. You are in the middle of the mission already. Paul's taking the gospel to new territory and God has to open the door to where he's supposed to go next. But you live in Roanoke, Virginia. So you know on the authority of God's word that God wants you opening your mouth and speaking the gospel. You don't have to be like, God, should I speak, share the gospel today? Of course you should share the gospel. All right, so some of you just need to start walking through the wide open doors that God has already put before you and stop complaining that you want a different door. God's in the business of opening doors for his people to get the gospel to the nations. Revelation 3.8, he says to the church of Philadelphia, I have opened a door that no one can shut. God wants to use you. He uses a church to sustain you and support you when it feels like he's blocking. And he uses a church locked arm in arm to walk through doors, even in seasons, perhaps especially in seasons when it feels difficult. So North Roanoke, don't let a disagreement make you disillusioned and sideline you in God's mission. Don't miss out on the joy of sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. And don't let a season of waiting become a season of unfaithfulness. Keep looking. Keep trusting. Because our God opens doors. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we thank you that you're at work even when it's difficult. In a room this size, there's probably a lot of difficulty. I hope you've at least encouraged one today in the hearing of your word. God, I don't know, maybe there's a, there's a man or woman here who feels like that, that man in the, the vision of, of the man from Macedonia, crying out, God, I, I need help. I need salvation. I... I hear these sermons, but I'm, I'm dead on the inside. I, I don't know God. I don't live for God. I want to live for God. I want my sins to be forgiven. So God, what, wherever people are this morning, I pray you'd meet them. God, if they know you and, and they've been bouncing between closed doors and they've been discouraged, Lord, that you'd give them the, the ability to lift their eyes to the maker of heaven and earth and be encouraged. God, that you would show them the open door that you're giving them for the gospel and God, for those who don't know King Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation. They would repent and believe on Christ. God, have your will and your way in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.